Hey everyone, I'm Tanya. And I'm Shauna. And you're tuned into Healing to Live. If you want to start your journey towards healing, we're here to give you the tools you need to do so. Our aim is to normalize the conversation around mental health in our community so you can get unstuck and start living the life you want. Tune in each week, spread the word, and let's talk about it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Healing to Live podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Shauna. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about Black mental health and ways to thrive despite the current state of the world. I know in the last episode that we mentioned that we would have a relationship series, but I don't think we could move forward without addressing some of the current events and how that can impact us. And also it's May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So I feel like this episode is needed right now. Yeah, super important, definitely. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's important too, Tanya, because you can't work on a relationship if you are not, you know, healing yourself as well. So I think it's really good that we're breaking this in between that so that way, you know, if there are any issues within yourself, it has, you know, it stems from what's going on in the world or, you know, just the effects of trauma on, you know, being black as a whole. Mm-hmm. And this can help. Absolutely. So the first thing that we want to talk about, I guess the biggest thing that we want to talk about is the Derek Chauvin trial and how we got justice for George Floyd. Yes, definitely. On 420. I was very excited about that. I have to say, though, I wasn't very hopeful at first that this was going to happen. I purposely didn't watch the trial because I didn't feel like going through that emotional roller coaster and then being disappointed at the end. So I waited, you know, for the results to come out and then I celebrated. I was very happy about that. Right. I think probably a lot of us had that same mindset, Tanya, because I was the same way thinking like, you know, this was going to be similar to other cases that we have seen in the past. I remember following the Trayvon Martin case really, really closely and paying mm-hmm. attention. And then, you know, the, yes. the hurt and distrust and the sadness that was felt, you know, when that verdict was read. Mm-hmm. So with this one, I did the same thing you did. I kind of withdrew from the case and didn't listen to it, didn't talk about it. Just waited to see, you know, what the outcome would be and deal with, you know, whatever I felt at that time. I didn't want to do that roller coaster ride of yeah. having to watch that video again or anything of that so i just was like i'm gonna wait and see and if the system works as it's supposed to as it's designed to then you know i celebrate then <laughs> right and despite there being video footage and evidence and witnesses and all that it's sad that i still wasn't hopeful that this man was going to be charged for the crime that he committed that was caught on camera isn't that crazy right. it's crazy but it shows the world that we live in you know mm-hmm says a lot about it, speaks volumes about it. And then that very same day in Minnesota, Dwight Wright was killed by a police officer who claimed that she mistook her taser for her gun. Yeah. Yeah. I remember reading about that one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's so unfortunate and such a poor excuse. And I just see another innocent man being shot by the police. I feel like oh, I mistook my gun for my taser. I don't feel like that's an excuse. I don't know if you remember, Tanya, but if the Fruitville Station movie that Michael B. Jordan starred in. Oh, um, yeah. He was, yeah, when he was telling Oscar Grant's story, mm-hmm. same scenario. The police officer, if I remember correctly, was saying the same thing, that he thought he had grabbed his taser, but instead grabbed his gun. Yeah. So unfortunate. Um, well, I saw one video where a police officer mm-hmm. came out and said, there's no way you can mistake your gun for a taser. The weight's different, feels different. Exactly. One's on this side, the other is on that, this side. I was side. just going to say that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That there are two different sides. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like if that's happening, then if it's true, which I don't want to get into that, but if mm-hmm. it is, then, then maybe they need to do something different, you know, maybe some better training or something. I don't know. But if... A mistake like that, if if this truly was a mistake, which I don't know, but if that's happening, then something needs to give because that doesn't make sense to me. Absolutely. That doesn't make sense to me. And then why isn't it happening more often? Right. If if it's so easy to mistake one for the other, why isn't it happening more frequently? So, yeah, that one just, yeah. (laughs) My thoughts, exactly. (laughs) Right. And then there's... Makia Bryant, who was 16 years old, and I know that there's a lot of debate around Mm -hmm. the circumstances of what happened because 
It was a hot mess. It was. It and was. she was in foster care. And mm-hmm. I believe that she was in an argument with grown women. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I heard that too. I think the case is being investigated. But what they're saying is like, Makia got shot, you know, while she was attacking someone. And right. it came out later that these women showed up at the home to, you know, I guess physically assault Makia. And her family, right. and she was trying to defend them. But yeah, I read that as well. I mean, she's 16 years old, mm-hmm. you know? Everybody mm-hmm. said that she was a good kid, no criminal history, like, very right. quiet. So to go from that to then a situation like this, and then the outcome is that she's killed by the police. Exactly. And if I read correctly, she was the one who called the police. Yes, she was the come, one that called to, the police. To, to come help. So... Mm-hmm. It just makes it even more saddening that she actually did the right thing and was trying to reach mm-hmm. out for help, but still ended up dead. So I think in so a situation sad. like that, when it comes to kids who are still developing emotionally, mm-hmm. a lot of the responsibility falls on the adults around them to protect them and, you know, Agreed. show Agreed. them the way. So right. mm-hmm. I'm wondering what could have happened differently in this situation to prevent this from even going that far. Right. I agree, Tanya. Because she's a child, you know. Exactly. Yeah, she's 16, but she's a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so I totally agree with you. That the responsibility is definitely on the adults. And then talking about police harassment, Windsor Police Department pulled over Karen Nazario, who's an army officer. And... He was not aggressive. He had his hand held up Mm -hmm. the whole time. The officers appeared to be aggressive, Mm -hmm. threatened to shoot him, eventually pepper sprayed him with his dog in the back seat. It was just, I think he was a a Hispanic, right? In the article I read, he identifies as black Hispanic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. And he's just asking them the whole time, like, what's going on? Why am I being pulled over? He's telling them Mm -hmm. that he's scared right now. And the officer is basically like, you should be. Right, right. Which is sad. Very Um, sad. It makes me think of, I've read, you know how you read people's comments and I'm some comments where people will say, you know, oh, just comply, do what they're telling you to do. Just, you know, do the right thing and things might turn out different. But like you said, in this scenario, he did. He had his hands up. He did. He followed their orders, but was still, you know, treated with disrespect. Exactly. So what do you do? You know? Exactly. This shows that whether I comply or not, I'm still going to, you know, be treated disrespectfully. I'm still going to be treated like I'm less than, you know. So Mm -hmm. where does that leave us? And then the innocent till proven guilty doesn't apply. You know, not apply. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So another person this year who was treated unfairly by police, Isaiah Brown, actually called the police for help. So. The story is that the police officer actually dropped him home. And Mm -hmm. then I think it was like an hour after he dropped him home, Isaiah called the police for help because of a domestic situation. Okay. And then the same officer who dropped Isaiah home responded Mm -hmm. to the call and ended up shooting him while he was outside on the house phone talking to the 911 dispatcher. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy, Tanya. And I hadn't heard of that one until you were telling me about it. Goodness, I wasn't mm-hmm. even aware of that. That's, I can't even put that into words. That's just. Yeah. You had a yeah. whole police ride with this person and then you came back and just yeah. automatically assumed that he you was a criminal and he needed to be shot. Mm-hmm. But how do you get all that awesome. from just pulling up to the scene? Isn't there an investigation exactly. first? Exactly. I was going to say, what happened to the due process? Like, what happened to you being tried and found guilty? Right. You know, what happened to all of that? No, he just went straight into, you know, this is a dangerous situation. Let me take it out. That's insane. Oh, my gosh. That is awful. Like I said, Tanya, I don't even have the words. It it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. We're supposed to be able to trust in the law. We're supposed to be able to depend on them, you know, Mm -hmm. to be there when we call for help. And yep. I'm calling for help, but then I'm losing my life. Yeah, it wow. makes that is that's just it sad. makes you hesitant to even mm-hmm. want to call the police, exactly. even though you need exactly. help. There's like mm-hmm. 
you got to think about it first before you call exactly. because like you're thinking about you know all the possibilities like what if they right. assume that I'm the target mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I have a plan if I ever need to call the police I'm going to identify myself you know I'm a black right. person yeah. this is what I look like I'm the one that needs mm-hmm. help right uh, you know but it's sad telling you that that even has to be a thought because it mm-hmm. should be just I'm going to call the police when I need help you know it exactly what do I need to say or how do I need to behave or how do I need to look so that I'm not, you know, seen as a threat? Right. Because by the time you call the police, you're already in like a, probably a dangerous situation. Exactly. You know, exactly. heightened fear, heightened mm-hmm. anxiety at exactly. that moment. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, you kind of have to compose yourself enough to look at the situation. Right. Right. Or if they don't come fast enough and I am in a situation where I have to defend myself, you know, what exactly am I going to like then become the target, like you said earlier. So it, just the whole scope of it is just very disheartening. And, it's very disheartening. Um, yeah, it's sad. Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the one word that keeps popping up. Like it's, I know it's bigger than that, but I can't even, you know, put it into words. Then there's discrimination in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Army officer Jonathan Petland and his family and friends mm-hmm. harassed a man in his neighborhood. Um, so the man was black and he was right. just going for a walk in the neighborhood. And I guess Petland's wife and friends mm-hmm. kind of approached him and was like, what are you doing here? What are you doing right. in this neighborhood? Right. And then Petland comes out and was like, you're harassing my wife or some mm-hmm. bull crap like that. And mm-hmm. starts attacking this young man and pushes wow. him. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that he's significantly older yeah. than this young man. And it's the audacity to think that this young man can't be in the neighborhood. Right, right. Because he's black. It just doesn't make any sense. We're in 2021 and Mm -hmm. I still, you know, am not allowed or some people feel maybe I shouldn't be allowed in certain places or I don't belong. Right. And... I think like last summer when, Mm -hmm. you know, George Floyd was murdered, there was there were a lot of protests and outrage and, you know, people were talking about all these things that are going on at the time. And it it put racial injustice, racism, discrimination, everything that was happening in this country in the forefront. Companies started to respond to what's going on. I think we even talked about it in our second episode, our 2020 episode. Mm -hmm. Just how major that was, because a lot of large corporations and government officials were starting to take notice of what was going on in this country towards black and brown people. And uh, I felt like we were starting to move toward progress and then things just got quiet. You know, around the time that we had the elections and uh, Joe Biden stepped into the office and we got Camilla as vice president. There wasn't a lot of talk about Mm -hmm. protests and what was going on anymore. But I don't feel like those things ever stopped. I just feel like the attention was on something else. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. It did feel good because it felt like, you know, like you said, we were progressing. We were moving Mm -hmm. from past things there was like a new era and like you said it, it got quiet and focus changed and here we are again dealing with you know similar issues exactly i think it just goes to show that there's a lot more work that needs to be done exactly and the change that needs to happen in order for us to have equality in this country and in this country it's not going to happen in a year yeah. or two years right. or five years. Because if you think about our history and mm-hmm. what we were born into, right, we've had progress. You know, right. we're not in the same situations as our ancestors were, but we're right. still experiencing racism exactly. and discrimination and racial injustice. We're still experiencing yeah. those things. So who knows yeah. what's going to happen in our right. lifetime? Yeah. It's like one of those things where it's you know that saying like it takes it took a long time to mess things up so yeah um it's gonna take a long time to fix it and repair it but we're definitely gonna have to one thing I know that is not gonna work is if we keep pushing it to the side right and re- revisiting it later 
is something that we're going to have to stay on top of and exactly. have to keep pushing, you know, these people in these higher places to bring about this change to create reform because it's going to be really sad if you know generations two three four generations from now Mm -hmm. they're still fighting these same battles you know it's going to be awful if that is something that they're still going to be struggling with that Mm -hmm. you know then it makes it almost makes it feel like has there really been any change yeah Is it, and it's exhausting. It, it is. It is. Is it just great to look like it's been changed, but it really yes. hasn't been any change is what it feels like. You know, I like what you said about it being draped to look like mm-hmm. there's been change. But mm-hmm. in reality, there isn't because it, it really hasn't. Mm-hmm. There are so many policies in place that, mm-hmm. you know, keep people in a disadvantaged position. Exactly. If that exactly. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. It just took on a new form. Right. Um, because it. No, we're not slaves anymore. No, we're no, you know, barefoot working in cotton fields and, you know, all this, that, and the third. And no, the signs are not still up saying that we can't go to certain places or that we don't belong here. Yeah, you can't physically see that stuff, mm-hmm. but these things are still happening, you know? Absolutely. Um, so although they've taken down the physical evidence that is there, the emotional and the underlying stuff, you still see it, you know? Exactly. You still see it. Right. It's, it's, crazy to be like for example you could let's say you start looking for a job and you get an interview at a company and large company and Mm -hmm. you barely see any black people right or the company is saying that you know they want to improve diversity equity and inclusion so they're gonna start hiring all these minorities but as you move up as you look at the structure of the company and the hierarchy as you go up, you don't see any of the minorities. Exactly. So you're bringing them in, but you're not really putting them in a position mm-hmm. to help like influence mm-hmm. change. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Lots and lots of work to be done. Mm-hmm. And in so many different areas. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about how seeing these instances of racial injustice, police brutality, learning about systemic racism and, you know, even experiencing racial trauma, what that can do to someone. Mm -hmm. Because when it comes to like discrimination and Mm -hmm. white supremacist ideals, sometimes I feel like it's easy to internalize some of those things and you start to believe it about yourself. Definitely. Um, especially if you don't see a lot of minorities in positions of power, right. you don't believe you can get that far. I think exactly. it can affect your self-esteem, your self-worth. Mm-hmm. You know, you start to work a little bit harder to prove your worth. And then in a sense, overworking because you feel like that's what you need to do to show that you're a value, but being yeah, human, worth it. Yeah, exactly. being yeah. human is enough. Yeah. It is a struggle that I believe a lot of us feel because we don't want to fit in that box that has been created for us. We fight so hard to not mm-hmm. be how you know the media has painted us or how just this whole from the beginning idea of who a black person is, you know, or what their behaviors look like or their attitudes or you fight, you spend so much time. Mm-hmm. Um fighting against it and if we're fighting against it it's probably because it's what we believe about ourselves and that's the sad part you know that's that like you said that internalized racism because if i was comfortable in who i am if i felt good about this person then i wouldn't care wouldn't have to fight to prove it but we're constantly put in a position you know even the angry black woman you know you're constantly fighting to not look like her because that's what you're known as. If I stand up for myself or if I speak against something I don't like, if, you know, if I become angry about how I'm being treated, then instead of being heard or valued or, you know, or whatever, I'm seen as this angry black woman. And so now that I'm put in this box, even if my concerns or my thoughts or my opinions are valid, they're invalidated because I'm an angry black woman, you know, exactly. <laughs> it's difficult. And so you watch your peers, your, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe like your 
Caucasian pairs who Mm -hmm. can get up there with confidence and say Mm -hmm. the same thing that you Mm -hmm. said, but somehow they're taken more seriously. Exactly, Tanya. Exactly. And it it needs to get your self-worth, like you said. Mm -hmm. It needs to get your self-esteem. And then the code switching at work. Mm-hmm. Oh man, mm-hmm. <laughs> that in itself is kind of stressful to keep that up all day. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's it's so unfair that we're kind of forced into this because we didn't ask for it. You know, we didn't create it. Just what we were handed. It's unfair. Definitely, definitely unfortunate that this is the hands that we were dealt to deal mm-hmm. with, and I think it bothers me even more when. You're trying to explain that, you know, to your Caucasian coworkers and they don't hear you. Yeah. You know, they write it off as, oh, you're just being overdramatic or. Yes. <laughs> not that serious. Or, you know, they write it off with, no, this is my reality, you know. Or why are we still talking about this? Right. <laughs> uh, because it never stopped. It never changed. That's why. <laughs> Just because it's not happening to you doesn't mean it's doesn't not mean valid. Or it doesn't mean it's not happening. Exactly. It, it doesn't mean it's not happening. It's not your, it may not be your experience, but it doesn't mean that it is not a real thing. You know? mm-hmm. And one summer of protesting is not going to change much, sis. So not that's why all. we're still talking about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when it comes to how, you know, living under higher levels of distress, how that can affect us. It can show up as poor health, you know? Mm, Um, Yes, definitely. Poor sleep, heart disease, Mm -hmm. increased morbidity. Um, Talking about how high blood pressure is prevalent in our community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And stress can influence that. Yes, it it, can. Your diet can Mm -hmm. impact that, but stress is also a huge factor when it comes to things like high blood pressure. And if you're someone is, you know, working extra hard to prove your worth, not taking a day off, yes, that's going to impact your health as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you're prioritizing work over everything else because that's what you feel like you have to do. And Mm -hmm. you're own mental and physical health comes last right right exactly I, i'm so glad that you pointed but it makes you wonder too tanya about the high blood pressure and certain medical diagnoses that are you know prevalent within our communities mm-hmm. high blood pressure being one heart yeah. disease being one it just it makes you wonder if all of that is kind of did that become ours because of all of the trauma because of all of the extra stress that was added, did that is that why it's so prevalent in us? Is that why it became, you know, something that we typically carry over other races? That's a good point. Mm-hmm. That's when you said it, just made me wonder, like, I wonder. Yeah. Because true indeed, um, when your body is under stress, your blood pressure is elevated, you know, mm-hmm. your heart is working harder. So it, it, it just makes me wonder if all of that is kind of tied in together. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good point. And but, your heart um, is working harder than, mm-hmm. you know, that's why heart disease also, in fact, impacts us as mm-hmm. much as well. We spend a lot of our lives under <laughs> under high stress, you know, yes. under high stress. We've spent and if, even black people of the past, you know, have spent their lives under high stress. Yeah. So just a thought. I just wonder. Yeah. But something else like the mood swings, that was something else that I've thought of that, you know, is effective trauma that because you don't know how to regulate your mood because you're so, like you said, you're under a lot of stress. And then if you're overworking yourself and then you're coming home mm-hmm. and having to, after I had to work hard all day to prove myself and then I have to come home and, you know, now I got to put on a different hat and, and be whoever, you know, whatever your role is at home. Yeah. So now I got the stress of the expectations there as well. So it's just, yeah, That's it's true. It's, so now my mood is going to be all over the place because I'm probably going to be snapping at people who don't even deserve to be snapped at just because I've been fighting all day to prove my value or to mm-hmm. prove my worth or to prove who I am. So, yeah. And also, like, how does that affect your children who are seeing you exactly. like this and seeing mm-hmm. how maybe you're not handling stress in the best way, mm-hmm. seeing you withdraw, seeing you snap? What does that teach them? Yeah, exactly, Tanya. That's a good point. Because we teach them how to manage mm-hmm. stress and anxiety. We teach them how to do that. Yeah. What are they seeing? You know? 
or even hearing our conversations about things like this, you know, how does that affect yeah. them when they're hearing that, you know, police officers are killing black men for nothing or black women for nothing. Mm-hmm. And it's, how does that, or girls and boys, you know, also. And the kids are such blank slates, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. everything they learn about the world, it comes from like experience and witnessing it, but also learning from the adults in their life. Exactly. So if as an adult, then you have a hard time, like kind of managing your emotions, regulating your emotions. Um, how can you expect your child to be able to know how to do that? Exactly. Good point. Maya. That's a really good point. And when it comes to like work and overworking, I feel like, you know, minorities are historically have been paid less mm-hmm. than white people. So there's Definitely. that having to work a little bit harder to get to a stage in life that makes them comfortable. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So not just proving your work, but trying to make up for that pay gap too. Make up for that pay gap. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Didn't even think of that. Yeah. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the stats. Okay. All right. So 13.4% of the U.S. population identifies as Black or African American. And mm-hmm. of those, over 16% reported having a mental illness in the past year. Wow. One thing I am, even though the increased number is like, major i'm glad to see that it increased because it makes me feel like now you know because for years black people we didn't talk about mental health we didn't talk about having a mental illness that was kind of something that wasn't on the forefront of our conversations or if you were crazy you were just crazy Mm -hmm. Um, but we didn't talk about depression we didn't talk about trauma we didn't talk about those things and so now that you know more black people are identifying that they have a mental illness that means that it it is being addressed in the sense I'm glad to hear that because it, now that it's out in the open, we can deal yeah. with it, you know? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. help to kind of like remove a lot of that stigma that's, that's yes, related definitely. to like the mental health field. Um, definitely. And I want to say too that, yeah, that's six, over 16% report having a mental illness, but you know, not everything has to be considered a mental illness in order for you to be impacted by it. You know, that is so true. That is so true. It could be a situational thing where I don't have the diagnosis, Mm -hmm. uh, but because of whatever my situations are or things that are happening in the world, I am, you know, displaying the symptoms of a diagnosis. So that is true. I'm glad you pinpointed Mm -hmm. that. Be stressed, overwhelmed. Mm hmm you know, anxious all the time, but that could be because of your situation. Exactly. So according to Mental Health America, I'm just going to read the entire little plot that they have. Uh, Historical adversity, which includes slavery, sharecropping, I'm sorry, and race-based exclusion from health, educational, social, and economic resources translates into socioeconomic disparities experienced by Black and African American people today. Socioeconomic status, in turn, is linked to mental health. People who are impoverished, homeless, incarcerated, or have substance abuse problems are at a higher risk for mental health. This makes sense because Mm -hmm. if you are struggling to make ends meet, if you're struggling to get ahead, but you're in a position to where you're not going to be able to get ahead, you know, if you're in a position to where it's not possible, if you're steady trying to reach and accomplish this, then of course, you know, you're going to display signs of mental health because you're going to be stressed out because you don't have what you need to make ends meet. And then you're probably going to be living in a community with other people in the same situation. And it's going to create chaos and, you know, create a lot of the neighborhoods that we see the projects, for example, where everybody is just struggling. Everybody is um, poor. Everybody is trying to make it. So then you have people turn into substances or alcohol or, you know, whatever they can to cope because they don't know how to cope health in healthy ways. You know, yeah, they don't absolutely. know how to, they don't want to deal with their reality mm-hmm. because who, who wants to deal with the reality, you know, of that nature where I can't, I can barely feed my kids. We're living in, you know, filth in a rundown apartment. We're probably infested with God knows what, you know, bugs and all kinds of 
you know, anything. And this is my reality. This is not what I wanted for myself because as a kid, there's no kid that says, you know, I want to grow up and be poor, you know, or I want to grow up and not have enough money to pay my bills or to feed my family or anything of that nature. And so, of course, it's going to be linked to your mental health because our mental health is affected by everything going on around us. So if I'm living in poverty and all around me, all I see is poverty, then that's going to more than likely create a space where I'm going to feel like this is all that I have and this is all that I can have because I'm not you know, in an environment where I can see anything different. Mm-hmm. So it, it makes the, sense. Mm-hmm. The stigma associated with living in poverty. Exactly. Um, and the way that people, you know, look at people who are living in pover- mm-hmm. poverty and exactly. judge them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's hard to deal with also. Not Super just hard to deal the reality with. of your situation, mm-hmm. but, you know, how people treat you or what they yeah, think of you. That's so true. So true. So to me, that makes sense. It, it definitely is a correlation of that those that group of people, you know, are at a higher risk for poor mental health. Of course they would be. Look at their disadvantages, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. So it also says that, that Black and African-American people living below poverty are twice mm-hmm. as likely to report serious psychological distress than those living over two times the poverty level, which makes sense. Yeah, um, definitely makes sense. Mm-hmm. Adult Blacks and African Americans are more likely to have feelings of sadness, hopelessness, and worthlessness Mm -hmm. than adult whites. And I think we touched on that a little bit too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Um, all that kind of encompassed mm -hmm. together. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then there's the fact that suicidal thoughts, plans, and attempts are also rising among Black Mm -hmm. and African American young adults still lower than the overall U.S. population aged 18 to 25.5% of Black and African American 18 to 25 year olds had serious thoughts of suicide in 2018 compared to 6% in 2008. So just that rise in 10 years. Wow. That is interesting. 3.6% made a plan in 2018 compared to 2.1% in 2008. Mm Mm-hmm. And 2.4% made an attempt in 2018 compared to 1.5% in 2008. That that jump. Mm -hmm. But I think you and I touched base on this, Tanya, um, on one of our previous conversations that we're even seeing it more, you know, in our field of work. Yeah. Whether it be, you know, your practice or in the facility in which I work, we're seeing more, you know, Black people in there admitting that, you know, these are thoughts that I have had or, you know, feelings or I've attempted or I've made a plan. I didn't carry it through. So it's definitely increasing. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things is unfortunate is the belief that we have to be strong. Exactly. Black Mm -hmm. women, strong black Mm -hmm. men. So we tend to hold those feelings and Mm -hmm. keep those thoughts to ourselves. And I don't think that suicide is commonly talked about in our community at all, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I don't want to say the word because that would be politically (laughs) incorrect, but... The assumption is that it's not a us problem. Exactly. It's, that's something that they struggle with. Exactly. But no, we yeah, struggle exactly. with it too. But we definitely do. Don't voice it because, you know, that would be looked at exactly. as weak. But we know as it's weak. not. Because mm-hmm. we've always had to be strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We've always been told that you have to be strong. We have to, but we're human. You know? Exactly. And we go through things and. You know, we experience loss and we experience hurt and we experience, you know, defeat. Like we, we, all that stuff is real for us. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you, Tanya. I've always felt like I can't, you know, I don't have time to feel that stuff. I got to keep going, you know. Yeah. I'm strong. I don't have time to deal with those emotions. I'll put you to the side. I, I don't have yeah. time for that. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree that that notion that we have to be strong. Yeah. And you then have it to comes be back around. <laughs> yeah. And then you have that little breakdown. Mm-hmm. And yep. then you just keep going. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. So um, despite experiencing more feelings of sadness, hopelessness, and worthlessness than adult whites or experiencing suicidal thoughts, Black people are still less likely to reach out for help because of the stigma related to, you know, seeking help. Mm-hmm. And the stigma related to mental health. I know growing up, 
you know, when your parents are drilling in you that you need to be strong. Mm -hmm. Why are you crying? Why are you like this? There's no conversations about, yeah, what you're going through is valid. Let's get Mm -hmm. somebody to talk to about it. And um, at least, you know, from my background Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm seeing a lot more black parents who are reaching out for help for their children. And I absolutely love it. When it comes to treatment issues, Black and African-American people are more often diagnosed with schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and less often diagnosed with mood disorders compared to white people with the same symptoms. And they are also offered medication or therapy at lower rates than the general population. Um, Black and African-American people are overrepresented in our jails and prisons and Mm -hmm. Black and African-American people make up 13% of the general U.S. population, but nearly 40% of the prison population. I am also wondering how many of those people who are locked Mm -hmm. up could have benefited from some kind of mental health, mental health care or intervention at some point. Something. Yeah. Yeah. We make up 13%. Of the general yeah. population, but forty percent. Yes, that just doesn't make sense at mm-hmm. all. And if I can look at this and see that that something's wrong, because that's mm-hmm. all that, that shouts that something is wrong, you know. If I can look at that and see that that something else, there's got to be something going on. There's got to be a mishap or something somewhere. It's amazing that other people can't see these same numbers and think the same thing. That you know, black people make up thirteen percent of the population. But 40% of them are in prison. Right. Exactly. What is wrong? Something there, mm. there's something off somewhere, you know, I, I don't know, Tyrants. but yeah, I do. I definitely agree with you that a lot of those people who were just didn't pass go went to jail yeah. <laughs> um, or prison, you know, could have benefited or that could have, maybe they would have never even ended up there at, you know, help they need to been in place. Right. They don't get Mm -hmm. the benefit of the doubt because how many times have you seen news stories where the perpetrator is white and they have like a picture of them in their high school Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. like graduation outfit or suit or something or they get their high school yearbook picture um, and they start talking about how they grew up, you know, Mm -hmm. All the things that have impacted them over the years that could have led them to do this. They start Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, their mental health issues, you know, they get that benefit of the doubt, but we don't Mm -hmm. always. No, they definitely paint them out to be, you know, a victim. Mm -hmm. They definitely paint them out to be a victim. Um, Whereas more, more often than not, it's we're thugs, you know, they don't look back and see that maybe we were growing up in the communities that you know, we were talking about earlier that where we were surrounded by poverty, where we didn't see that, you know, opportunities were out there that we didn't believe that we could go beyond that. You know, we don't get that same consideration. So exactly. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to misdiagnoses, um, I was reading this book called The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health, a really good book. Mm-hmm. And the author mentioned that when screening for depression in Black people, that could easily get mixed because the person doing the assessment may not ad- identify a lot of the signa- symptoms that, you know, the Black client is experiencing as that would translate to depression because the questions on the assessment, the PHQ-9, are you know they're so standard yeah what if someone never misses a day of work but they come home and they withdraw from everyone or Mm -hmm. they're just generally unhappy they're not engaging in any activities that would bring them joy or happiness right but they're still functioning right exactly according to what we consider functioning they've never missed a day of work but they're also overworking exactly um why are they overworking mm-hmm. so that's and, one of the things yeah. that she mentioned that i thought was interesting yeah that's super important because they don't take into consideration that the norms for all of us are different and i think if that was considered like you're saying then maybe there wouldn't be as many misdiagnoses you know yeah Instead of overworking, they're not going to the doctor or exactly. they're overeating, mm-hmm. um, not really paying attention to their health needs. 
exactly. eating foods they shouldn't, even though they have a health condition. They're not mm-hmm. managing their chronic health not illness. Right. Um, even if they go to the doctor, they're under care, they have a chronic illness. There's no consideration for what they could be going through mentally. They're just right. looked at as, why aren't you following this plan? It's so simple. Um, you're diabetic. You're not supposed to eat this. This is what you're supposed to do to manage your diabetes, but you're not doing anything. Exactly. Why is that? Sometimes it requires taking a deeper dive into Mm -hmm. what the person is really like going through in their lives or what's going on in their mind. That is so important. And I didn't even, you know, I hadn't even considered that far until you just pointed it out because true indeed the, I've administered the PHQ-9 every time I go to work and read the questions. Sometimes you have to read them to the patient in order for them to understand. It doesn't look that far. It doesn't go that deep. And like you said, it doesn't, okay, yeah, I'm overeating because it, it asks that, but but why am I, like you said, why am I overeating, you yeah. know, or what am I eating, you know, or how is that affecting me, or it definitely does not dig deep. So definitely understand that. That was a good point to make. Yep. And so we're bringing ourselves to the session today for in session, <laughs> the segment of our podcast. <laughs> we're going to talk about the things that we do to kind of like maintain our mental health, especially since we work in the field. And, you know, when they talk about like vicarious trauma, how when you learn about other people's experiences or it affects you in some way, right? Is that what it is? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I've learned to do over the years, well, I'm actually learning to do this now, is just to, I was someone who was working my behind off and always felt like that was what I had to do in order to, you know, be a productive member of society. I have to go to work every day. I had to work extra hours. I had to show these people that I deserve to be here. And I think what I learned, and this was due to the pandemic, was that companies are always going to protect themselves and their bottom line and their goals And I had to be a little bit more proactive when it comes to taking care of myself and my mental health. So I started setting like stricter boundaries at work, Mm -hmm. um, making my own health a priority, Mm -hmm. started talking more to other people around me, leaning on, you know, my friends, my family a little bit more, talking about how I feel instead of internalizing, journaling a lot more. And just really being honest with myself about how I'm feeling and really what I want my life to look like. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy and making decisions each day that are in line with what I want from life. So that's what I've been doing and being in the mental health field and learning about mental health illness and some of the coping mechanisms and, you know, how your experiences can affect your life now that has definitely been helpful okay yeah Yeah. I definitely have to agree one thing that I do is I always when I find myself you know not setting good boundaries or not taking care of myself I have to remind myself like you can't help your patients and tell your patients like you know like you got to do the same thing that you're telling your patients if I'm telling my patients that they have to prioritize themselves or it's time to put themselves first or, um, you know, if I'm helping them come to that acknowledgement, then I need to be able to do that for myself as well. Yeah. You know, um, so that's something that usually gets me like when I have my conversation, I call it, I do self-care. So that's what I call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so when I'm doing my self-therapy, sometimes that is something that pops up. Like this is something that you're, you know, you're encouraging because I'm not telling them to do it, but I'm encouraging them you know, to set boundaries, to prioritize themselves, to make time for themselves, to, you know, do self-care, to partake yeah. in that daily, weekly, you know. And so if I'm not doing, you know, how can I encourage them to do it and exactly. remind them of the importance of it if it's not even something that I'm doing for myself? So that's something that I constantly remind myself of is that, you know, I've got to be an example because if I'm encouraging others to do this, then I, I definitely need to be doing it myself. I'm not big on journaling, but I definitely, I'm, I'm a water person. So I spend mm-hmm. a lot of time at the beach. I take two days in a row off. And so one of those days, it's a guarantee that I'm going to be at the water. 
and I'm learning to set better boundaries at work. So I'm glad you pointed that out, Tanya, because I don't think that we often take into consideration how much that affects us when we don't set proper boundaries at work, when we're, you know, just going, going, going and not taking the time to relax or to calm mm-hmm. down or, you know, in the long run, it's going to cause more damage than it is, you know. So that's what I do. And I love what you said about doing some of the same things that you tell your clients to do mm-hmm. because I do the same exact thing too. And mm-hmm. I'm like, how am I yeah. you know, <laughs> suggesting this? And exactly. I, you're, I mean, your therapists are human too. You know, right. they have their exactly. struggles. They go through this. Exactly. They don't have all the answers and they, you know, Definitely don't. they go through life struggles as well. So I'm like, wow, this is a really good idea. Maybe I should try this. And that has been helpful. It has been very helpful for me to practice some of the things that I tell my mm-hmm. clients to do. But we preach. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because if I practice it and it works for me, then I wouldn't tell you to do it if I didn't think it would work. Exactly. So important. Exactly. And, you know, going through school, Tanya helped Mm -hmm. a lot, too. Yeah. Our journey at Nova was like eye opening for me. I learned a lot about field, but I also learned a whole lot about myself beforehand, before coming into this field. I didn't know really what mental health was from my family's standpoint. I, you know, learned about it on TV, would watch various shows, but my family never, we never talked about mental health. Uh, yeah, um, my neither. Never, never talked about mental health. I didn't even hear that as a little girl. I remember hearing people were crazy, but mm-hmm. they never talked about it. It was never a thing. And so I never got help for some of the stuff that I had went through. I didn't know I needed help. You know, I thought I was fine. Yeah. Uh, but going through, through the program at NOVA with the professors that we had and, you know, the classes that we took, that was very healing for me. Yes, um, same here. I was able to, yeah, I was able to work through a lot of stuff. Like I said, I thought I was, I really thought I was good. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, everybody else might be off, but I'm good. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I learned that I wasn't and that helped me. That helped a lot. So Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We had to do the work on ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was so good. It was so it good. Really it brought was. up a lot of a lot of things that we had hidden mm-hmm. that we didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. So Exactly. Yeah. That's trauma like that it, we didn't even know was uh-huh. trauma. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Because we're not perfect people at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Yeah. So how would someone go from feeling stuck in their lives, you know, in the current state of the world to thriving? One of the things that I find helpful is, you know, to surround yourself with positive images. I know that when you're watching the news, the news tend to be, you know, they talk about things that will get your attention. Yes, it's current events, but right. they also know what's going to like draw people in and get them to watch. And it's usually negative. So try to surround yourself with positive images. I know for me, I like to follow a lot of people on social media who I feel like are at a point in life that maybe I want to get to. Or, you know, it just looks like they're thriving. They're doing a lot of the things that I may want to be doing. Like maybe they're starting a business or they're sharing their experiences or traveling, just talking about going to therapy, just, you know, they're positive images, you know? So I get inspired by that. Mm -hmm. Um, When you see someone who made it to a level in life that you want to be, even if they're just, you know, maybe they have a nine to five and they work 40 hours a week, but they're managing that and also making time for self-care and their families and their relationships. So images like that. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. That is awesome. One thing that I do is I have to identify the problem because Mm -hmm. if I don't know what's causing me to feel stuck, then I won't know what I need to work on. You know, I won't know what I need to address so that I'm no longer feeling unstuck. So I'm like always looking for, okay, so what is the problem? Like, what is it that's making me feel this way? Like what happened? I do a lot of, have to identify it because I'm I'm one of those people where my mindset is if I don't identify the problem and I'm not definitely not going to be able to find a solution. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say, you know, finding what is making you feel, feel unstuck. 
And that may mean, you know, getting a therapist or, you know, having a good support system, somebody that you can talk to that is honest with you to help you identify it if you're not able to do that on your own. Yeah. And then finding a way that you can work through that problem or work around it or work with it so that you're able to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree too, Tanya, with the positive because I have to surround myself with positive as well. Otherwise I'll drown in the negative. Yeah. It gives me, like you said, that motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, reminding myself that, you know, things don't, won't always be this way, that things can change and they can progress. Yeah. Um, so just... Things of that nature, positive self-talk for me helps me a lot too. just, like I said, reminding myself that one thing I always say, and I believe I just posted it on Facebook the other day because I needed it. So I put it on Facebook for myself as well. (laughs) It's like, this is not, (laughs) this is just my right now. This is not my forever. And telling myself that, you know, reminds me that what the old saying, like troubles don't last always, like Mm -hmm. things won't always be this way. And that helps me. That helps me. And sometimes, too, we're like fighting or working so hard to get to the next level that we don't really enjoy our life as it is now or in the moment. We find all the things that are wrong with it now because we aren't where we want to be. Exactly. And I feel like there are ways to still enjoy things that are happening in your life despite you not being where you want to be in life. Like... Is it your relationships? You know, what are the positives right. with those with your exactly. relationships? Exactly. Um, what are you able to do now? Like you said, if even if I'm not able to travel outside of the country right now, can I go to the beach? You know, right. right what right. are some of the things that I can find joy in? Exactly. While exactly. my life is where it is now. Exactly. That mm-hmm. that's awesome. that's an awesome point to to look for those positives. Yeah. In the midst of the negatives, yeah. And also, Mm -hmm. like, leaning on your community, like, being Mm -hmm. around people who share the same experiences, the same ethnicity can be very validating. Exactly. um, To make you know that what you're going through, you're not going through by yourself. You know, I'm experiencing that, too. Like, having that community can be so uplifting. It can. Yeah. And then going to church. um, I was talking to somebody like not too long ago about church and what they mentioned Mm -hmm. was like, it tends to be a place of positivity. Like everybody's there for the same reason. Mm -hmm. They're going for healing. You know, they're going to connect with people in their congregation, but also not really leaning blindly on faith, Right, uh, Mm -hmm. taking some action to make the changes that you want to see change. Exactly. Um, For instance, not just saying, you know, God got me, I'm going to be all right. But what are some of the things you can do as well to help change the situation? Exactly. That is so important. And I I definitely agree with that. That's something that I used to look forward to was going to church because it would be that that pick me up. You you need Mm -hmm. after, you know, a rough week and that, that togetherness, like you said, that up, it uplifts you because again it makes you shows you that you know I'm not alone. Yeah, other people are experiencing some things as well. So definitely, and I feel like a lot of the messages that you get from a sermon it's so mm-hmm. relatable to what you're going through. It definitely is. It definitely is. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then like self care, like true self care. I think I saw a quote online where it says that true self care is building a life you don't need to escape from. So escape would be like going to get a massage, going to get your nails done. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it feels good in the moment, but then you're going to go right back into the situation. So you're going to keep doing those things, but it's not going to change much. I'm going to think anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I think of self-care, I think of, you know, maintaining my physical health, eating Mm -hmm. healthy, taking care of my body, like exactly talking to someone Mm -hmm. when I need support. What do you think when it comes to self-care? Oh, I agree, Tanya. I definitely agree because it it has to be something that's, like you said, long lasting, like you said, your Mm -hmm. overall health. Definitely talking to someone because as a therapist, we hold a lot of other people's stuff. Yeah. We carry a lot of weight for other people. And so definitely having someone that can support us, you know, in that area as well. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And for me, like self-care is, like I said, one of my things is going to the beach because it's yeah. where I, um, what is the word, de-escalate? 
Um, yeah, that could be it. <laughs> or de-stress. De-stress. Let's yeah. use de-stress. So it's a place where I don't really have to think about anything. Um, I Listening to the water is just soothing and calming. I don't have to focus on, you know, I don't think about work or treatment plans or anything yeah. like that. It's my moment of just stillness. Yes. Even though stuff is still going on around me, it's my moment of stillness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having that and even creating that at home, because if I can't go to the beach, if it's raining or something, or for whatever reason, I just can't go to the beach, I will have water sounds on my TV or mm-hmm. water sounds on my phone. Or I've even gotten to the point where I've turned my shower on and set it outside of my bathroom and just listen to the water because it's just that moment of stillness for me. Yeah. And, and I feel renewed afterwards. Absolutely. You know, I feel so renewed. And I think self-care is important that when you've done some self-care, that you feel renewed, that you feel refreshed. But that's what self-care is to me, just a moment of renewedness and refreshing and stillness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll go sit on my balcony with my dogs and just do absolutely nothing and just like yeah. watch the lake. It's so calming. It's calming. Even though you have all these responsibilities, all Mm -hmm. these tasks on your to-do list, Mm -hmm. this is a moment that you're taking for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Despite everything going on. Despite everything going on. And and when you do those things, like you you said, not escaping, but when you do those things, just taking a moment Mm -hmm. and you come back to face, you know, your issues or whatever they are, sometimes you're able to come back with a different perspective or you're re-energized. So you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely, yeah. You have a moment to really think Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. process things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And that's ongoing. Mm Self-care is ongoing. Healing is ongoing. Life is is always going to be happening. There's always going to be distractions in life that, you know, maybe takes you out of the routine that you've built for yourself. And I think that just understanding that it definitely requires you to make a conscious effort to have those moments to yourself because life, it's going to be happening regardless. Exactly. Exactly. Super important. Mm-hmm. So definitely that self-care. And I also think of like having a balanced schedule. Oh, that's important. Yes. That's super important. <laughs> having a balanced schedule where you have time to do things like this, like to take a mm-hmm. moment to yourself. Mm-hmm. I think I saw a meme online or something that said, Instead of booked and busy, I want to have a balanced schedule with self-care built in. And I was like, exactly. yeah, yeah, that really resonated with me. So, yeah, I think it's a lot of things that are self-care that we don't even recognize them to be self-care. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, that balanced schedule and it's that self-care or boundaries that work, you know, home life boundaries, you know, with uh, work life, I'm sorry, work life boundaries. As self-care, mm-hmm. you know, so things that we don't even really think that are, you know, we're trying to create these things like, oh, kind of figure out what self-care is sometimes turning off your TV. Yeah. Like you were saying, you know, so that you're not constantly pouring this stuff into you that something as simple as that can be, you know, self-care. Mm-hmm. So it, it, like taking care of your body. Like, I don't even think that we really think like, you know, self-care is, like you said, it's a daily thing. It's an everyday thing. And it could be something as simple as eating healthy, exercising. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all we have today. We talked yeah. about, you know, current events, what's happening in the world, how Black people are impacted by the current state of society right now, as far as discrimination, racism, um, racial injustice. Right. We talked about the disparities in mental health when it comes to the Black community, how to thrive in society right now, even though things are not changing fast enough. Right. Um, so how to <laughs> still thrive despite all the things that are happening and ways to practice self-care. And I also mm-hmm. want to share the National Suicide Hotline you know, I think it's important to have as a resource if, mm-hmm. you know, someone is someone has suicidal thoughts um, to reach out to the National Suicide Hotline, which is 800-273-8255. And also, if you're seeking therapy, you can visit Psychology Today to find a therapist, mm-hmm. Therapy for Black Girls, 
Therapy for Black Men, TanyaWright.com. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> No, that's right. <laughs> a little plug. You know, it's a little plug. <laughs> that's what's up, <laughs> And then when Shauna, you know, has her practice, we're going to be plugging that too. At <laughs> some point. <laughs> we're going to get there. Um, but that's all we have for today. Did you want to yes. add anything? No, I'm good, Tanya. I think you closed it out. You included everything that you said. So I think we're good. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for watching. Um, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash healing to live podcast. And we also have an Instagram now healing to live podcast is the name on Instagram. And I'll put a lot of those links in the show notes as well. You gotta so, get more active on those pages, Tanya. Yeah. Gotta start posting some stuff yeah. or something. So I agree. Yeah. I haven't had the time to. Since I did that right? one post, I haven't yeah. done anything else. It's but. been so much going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but we'll see you in the next episode. All right. See you guys in the next episode. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Healing to Live. We're hoping that you'll join in on the conversation and connect with us. You can subscribe to the podcast and join our Facebook community. Just search for Healing to Live Podcast or go to HealingToLivePodcast.com. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.